Hello and welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast, where we desire to see a world transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, you can send a message to info at mycrossroads.co. Now, let's get our hearts and minds ready for a powerful message from God's Word. Amen. Good morning, everybody. And good morning to those who are watching online. It was kind of cool. I didn't expect a, fur, a full house in first service, but we, but we had one. But I know we'll have a lot of people that are traveling and hope you're enjoying your vacation wherever that is. And God bless those who are, who are in the house to, today. We're excited. This is going to be a, a, a really cool service. I know that. Uh, you know, there's, there's something I came across a few, uh, a, a few months ago that I thought was just amazing. I don't know if you've heard about this, but it's called the Landfill Harmonic Orchestra, and it's just some amazing things. I'm just going to read, uh, read about it today, then we're going to take a look at it. It said, some kids in Cotuera uh, on the outskirts of Asuncio, P- uh, Paraguay, are making music with their trash. They're turning wash tubs into kettle drums and drain pipes into trumpets. Other orchestras fine-tune their maple cellos or brass tubas, not this band. They play Beethoven sonatas with plastic buckets. On their side of Asuncio, garbage is the only crop to harvest. Can you imagine that? Garbage pickers sort and sell refuse for pennies a pound. Many of them have met the same fate as the trash. They've been tossed out and discarded. But now, thanks to two men, they are making music. Fabio Chavez is an environmental technician who envisioned a music school as a welcome reprieve for the kids. Don Carla Gomez is a trash worker and uh, and carpenter. He had never seen, heard, or held a violin in his life. Yet when someone described the instrument, this untutored craftsman took a paint can and an oven tray into his tiny workshop and made a violin. His next instrument was a cello. He fashioned the body out of an old barrel, oil barrel and made tuning knobs from a hairbrush, a heel of a shoe, and wooden spoons. Thank, uh, thanks to this Stradivarius, the junk gets a mulligan, and so do the kids who live among it. Since the day their, uh, their story hit the news, they've been tutored by maestros, featured on national television programs, and on a world tour. They've been called the Landfill Harmonic and also the Recycled Orchestra of Casuera. Go ahead and take a look at this. This is pretty amazing. Acá mismo encontramos el colado de violín. 
Y ese día empezamos los instrumentos reciclados. que acá vive, recicla todo lo que hay en la basura y se vende. No pensaba antes que yo voy a hacer esa chumendo. Y me siento demasiado feliz cuando estoy viendo a un niño que está tocando un violín reciclado. Cuando ya escucho el sonido del violín siento como mariposa en el estómago, así una sensación que no sé cómo voy a explicar. La orquesta de instrumentos reciclados es una orquesta que toca instrumentos hechos con la basura. Un, dos, tres. Y mi vida sería sin la música, estaría decorable. La gente se da cuenta que no tenemos que tirar la basura muy fácilmente. No tenemos que desechar a las personas muy fácilmente. But isn't that also an incredible picture of God's grace when you take a look at it? Because God has taken the, uh, you know, the, the refuse of the world, the junk of the world, and uh, us, and he's made something beautiful out, and God makes beautiful music out of, uh, out of us. In fact, you take a look at the, at the Bible, and you see the people he used in his orchestra were anything but, you know, but the, the, the bright and, and brightest. When you take a look at, uh, at, at say, say, Noah, And let's put him on. Let's put him on on clarinet. I mean, he was somebody who got drunk. Then you have Abraham. Let's put him on the liar because he he lied, right? Then you could put, take a look at at somebody like Moses. Let's put him on percussion because he killed somebody. The David, he not only committed adultery but he also committed murder as well. Let's put him on. Let's put him on trumpet. Then you've, got, then you've got Peter, let's put him on piccolo. He pretended he didn't even know who Jesus was. Then you've got Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he's somebody who tortured and, and imprisoned and killed Christians before he became one. And, and this is God's orchestra. But I want to take a look at somebody on, let's say, let's say this person is on the, uh, on the flute today. And this is a person by the name of Rahab. Because we're right now studying about the, entering the promised land, and we've taken a look at one generation who didn't make it, and then another generation who's about to make it. And right in the middle there, right before there, they go into the promised land, there's this lady by the name of Rahab. Now, Rahab is an incredible person. First, let me tell you about her people. Rahab's people were, were bad news. They were bad people. To say they were barbarians and mean people would be an understatement like saying that the, the Sahara Desert is warm, right? I mean, these people were bad. Part of their, listen to their worship. Their worship included orgies. Their worship including, included child sacrifice, burning their own children in a, uh, in a fire. This is how barbaric these, these people were. Now, let's talk about Rahab for a moment. Rahab, we know what she did for a living because the second she's introduced, you find out what she did for a living. She was a prostitute. 
Now, you'd think that the Bible would try to cover that up, but instead it like shows it in neon lights. In fact, of the eight times she is mentioned in Scripture, five times we're told what her profession was. Okay, and so, uh, again, it seems like, why would the Bible do that? Why would, why would not one time suffice? Why would God present that? And maybe he's trying to let us know that this, the promised land isn't made just for the spiritual elite. It is made for all of us. It is made for every single person that hears this. So if you ever wonder whether you're made for the promised land, if you ever wonder whether you, what you've done can keep you away from God's grace and from God's goodness, I have one word for you, and that's, that's Rahab. Let me give you just a little bit about the, uh, the background here. I heard in, in a nutshell this story. And what it is is just like, just like Moses sent some people into the promised land to explore it, he sent 12 spies in. Joshua, as he's about to go in, and with the next generation in there, he had two spies to go and, pro, and spy out the land, and especially on Jericho. So they're in Jericho spying out everything, and they, they encountered this lady by the name of, of Rahab. Now, now, the leaders of Jericho, they discover that there is, are some spies in their midst. So they put out an APB for these guys. They sent out posses trying to look for these guys in order to, to, to kill them. And Rahab hides these two men, hides them under a, a, a pile of flax that she's drawing on, her, on the roof of her, her house. And she made, does two things. First, she makes a statement of faith, and then she makes a request the statement of faith is this. She goes, I know that your God is the God of gods. He is the God of heaven above, and he is the God of earth below. He is the true God. And that's an incredible statement of faith. Now, for you and I, most of us have made that declaration. Most of us believe that. A lot of us have believed that from the time we were a small child. But for, for her, a prostitute raised in this darkness, raised in a pagan society that has no belief, that worships demons and worships false gods, that's an amazing thing that in the midst of this darkness, God has this light. In the midst of this darkness that, that God has found this heart, that somehow that she's found God, or maybe even better, that God's found her and has responded to her in an amazing amount of, uh, of, of grace. And her request is this. Her request is, my life for your life. I spared your life, so I'm asking, I know that your people are going to come up and whoop up on Jericho, and there's going to be nothing left. I'm asking you to spare my, my life and my family's life. And they go, okay, absolutely, we'll do that. But here's the one catch, that you have to put a scarlet cord in your, uh, in your window, which we're going to take a look at next week as we look at, as close this series and look at, at Jericho, because there's a real significance in that scarlet cord as well. And this is a, a, amazing that, that God places Rahab right in the middle of the start of the, of the, the book of Jericho. In fact, she gets more, more ink than anybody in the whole book besides, uh, besides Joshua himself. I mean, there's a whole chapter dedicated to Rahab. And again, why do you think he puts it there? Because he is going out of his way immediately right there to say the promised land is for everybody, even the Rahabs of this world that we can all relate to, can't we? Um, uh, and think of, think of this, too, is the New Testament has, begins with a genealogy. It begins with the genealogy, the family tree of Jesus Christ. That's smack in the first book, the first chapter of the, of the New Testament, which is the book of, of Matthew. It starts with, with Jesus' genealogy. You also find his genealogy in the book of Luke. Now, there's some differences about those genealogies. Here's what it is. In the book of Luke, Luke wanted to present that Jesus was the Messiah for everybody, so he starts Jesus' genealogy genealogy all the way back to Adam. 
Now, now uh, Matthew, he was wanting to prove that Jesus was the Messiah for the, uh, for the Hebrew people, so he started with Abraham, their hero. Now, here's Matthew's the very start of the New Testament. Here it is. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. That's a story, too, right there. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Abinadab, Abinadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Solomon, Solomon, the father of Boaz, who was, whose mother was Rahab. Whoa, whoa, what, what, what? Wait, hold on. Rahab, the prostitute, that means that she's Jesus' grand, 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 grandmommy right there. I mean, that's incredible to me. And it gets better. It gets wilder. It gets crazier. There's a, a chapter in the, in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 11. It's the Hall of Faith. For all, all of us sports fans, we know what Hall of Fames are, right? We know Hall of Fames in baseball. We know Hall of Fames in football. We know Hall of Fames in basketball. All those. A lot of us have been to those things. It's the best of the best of the best. And, and God gives a, a, a Hall of Fame, a Hall of Faith of, in the Hebrews chapter 11. Guess who's included in that? Watch this. says this, By faith the prostitute, there it goes again, uh, Rahab, be, uh, by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Apparently, don't miss this, apparently her profession of faith was more important than her profession as uh, in, a, in a brothel. And here's the thing, again, we can all relate to, uh, to, to Rahab. Now, we may never have sold our body, but we've a lot of maybe sold our allegiance. We've sold our, our, our values. We've sold our morals. We've sold our things at different times. We've done things we shouldn't have done. We've said things we shouldn't have said. And God, in this grace and mercy, picks her out and redeems her in the midst of that, just like he wants to do for us, just like he has done for, uh, for us. And let's head to the next chapter. So here we go. There's Rahab starting out the whole thing. Head to the next chapter, and it says this. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim, that's actual word, sorry, and went to the, uh, to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the uh, officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, who are the Levites, carrying it, you are to move out from the, your possessions, positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been that way before." A couple things here. First, I love that part about, you, you know, you'll know where to go because you've never gone that way before. We've, ne we've never been this way before, right? I mean, none of us. We're, we're in this world one time. We've got one shot at this thing called life. The Bible makes it clear that it's destined for a person to die once and then face judgment. In other words, there is no reincarnation. And we've never been this way before, so wouldn't it be smart to follow the person who has been this way before, who knows where to go, who knows what to, what to do? Now, come on, come on up, Bobby, if you, you will. Now, one thing is, it says, it says there that they were supposed to follow the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence, and it really contained God's presence in there. In other words, follow God. Now, a few, uh, last week, we took a look at some of the necessary ingredients straight from the Word of God when, about how do we encounter our promised land? How do we do that? And we said this. First, it's going stra to take, take strength and courage. It is also going to take uh, to, to be a person of the Word, and it's also going to take believing that God is with us wherever we go. This is the next one, uh, next one right here, and it's saying follow, follow God. And you're probably going, well, duh, of course you're supposed to follow God if, and things. But think about how many people truly that we want to go into the promised land, but we want to do our own thing. 
We want to say, God, I'm gonna, you know, I want to I will go to the promised land, but I want, I'm just going to hang out here and do my thing. You can't go to the promised land and not follow God. In fact, here's the, here's the thing, too. Go ahead and Jesus didn't say just believe in him. He said follow him. Now, in order to follow somebody, you have to go where they go. You have to do what they do. You have to do whatever they do, right? It's not enough just to believe in them. You actually have to go where they go. Now, God will always be going into the promised land. God will always be heading that direction. So in, order, in other words, you can't go into the promised land without following God. We've got to follow him. And we can't, here's the question that we have to say, that we really have to ask ourselves. Are we truly following Jesus Christ or are we doing our own thing and asking God to bless it? Because there's a big difference in life. Thank you very much, Mark. <laughs> I don't know if you see, Bobby had five stitches yesterday. He fell down and, in a... Uh, but you should, you should see the little girl. She's even... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and this is a big moment. The people are just about to enter the promised land. I mean, this is huge. They've waited 40 years. An entire generation has waited for this moment right here. Now, listen to what happens 40 years later. Said, see the God's talking here. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand in a heap. Let me talk about the Jordan River for, for one moment. This is the first obstacle that they face. They're going to face some other obstacles. First one they face is the Jordan River. Now, normally the Jordan River is not all that big. It's not all that wide. I've been there several times, and I've baptized several people there. I even reaffirmed my own baptism in the Jordan River. Now, normally it's about 30 or 40 yards across and only about six feet deep. It's not that big of a, big of a deal, not that big of a river. But, oh boy, at flood stage... When all the snow is coming off the mountains and, and melting off that, the Jordan River, especially in those days, was over a mile wide. Now, it's one thing for, for you to get a, you know, one person across a mile-wide river. It's a whole other thing to get over a million people across a river. And especially when you're talking about there's also children involved and there are also toddlers involved and babies involved and somehow they're supposed to get across the, uh, the, the Jordan River. This is a major, major problem that they have to, that they have to face. And, and look at this. As soon as the priests who carried the Ark of the Lord, when they step foot in it, that's when the things are going to happen. Whoa. I don't know about you, but if I was a priest, I'd want to go, wait a second, let's switch that order around. Let's, you divide the, the river, then I'll step into it, right? Can anybody relate to me? You want God to move first, and then you'll, then you'll do that. But think about, that is rarely how God does things. God usually, usually, usually tells us, in, in Scripture and everything, tells us, you take the step of faith, then watch me work. You do the first thing. Now, remember way back when Indiana Jones, there's one scene in, that I think is one of the greatest pictures of what faith is all about and taking a step of faith. Now, he was so, there was nothing in front of him. There's nothing there. And he says he's supposed to take a step of faith when there is nothing that he sees. And then all of a sudden, it's only when he takes a step of faith. That's when he sees. That's when the, the, the bridge appears. And how many times in life, how many times in Scripture does God say, you take that first step of faith and then you watch the bridge appear. You take that step of faith. And see, a lot of times, I mean, think about God told the, the lepers, right? He told 10 lepers, he said, all right, I want you to go and show yourself to the priests. 
And, and that's not what you, 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 first you get healed, then you go show yourself to the priest to make sure he confirms that you've been healed. You don't go first there, you don't go that, but it was on their way, that's when they were healed. Jesus told somebody to go, a blind man, to go wash in the pool of Shiloh, and it's only after he took that step of faith, and that was no little step of faith. I always thought it was, it was you know, right near there, that, but, but he had this blind man walk down a mountain to the bottom of there. He had him take a bodacious step of faith. You do that, and then you watch what God can do. And the same thing, we, talked, we said something about, about tithing last week. A lot of times what we say is this, God, you open up the windows of heaven, and then I'll tithe. And God says, you know what? You tithe, and then I'll open up the windows of heaven and rebuke the devourer. We want God to go first, but, all, but usually God says, you take the step of faith, and and when you do take the step of faith, all heaven is going to, to break loose as you, as you do that. And that's the next thing, is be willing to take the steps of faith. Here's what I want you to know about this. Think of it, if they did not take that step of faith, they would have never made it in the promised land. It seems like such a little step, and in some ways, it is just a little step. But in other ways, it's a huge step. It's a huge risk. It's a huge step of faith, of faith for them. But if they didn't take that little step of faith, all the other big stuff wouldn't have happened. I really believe that that's one reason God has blessed Crossroads so much through the, through the years is because we have, we have taken those steps of faith. We've been willing to take those steps of faith time and time again, and sometimes it scared the mess out of us. Sometimes it was little steps of faith. Sometimes it, it felt like, like stepping into the floodwaters of the, of the Jordan River. I mean, think about what, what we just talked about with, with the or, uh, elder orphan care. They, she's taken so many big steps of faith, but it's when she took those steps of faith, that's when God opened up things. Let me ask you this question. Do you want God to take you to another level? You just want to do laps in the wilderness. I almost guarantee you that it's going to be taking, you take some step of faith in order to get to a new place with, with God. And that's maybe just going what we talked about last week, maybe getting into the word of God for the first time in your life, maybe getting that. It may be a simple step of faith, but a big step of faith of getting involved in small groups. It may be a simple step of faith, but a big one of, of getting involved in a ministry uh, or, or being as generous as, as Robbie was saying. You know, we could talk, what is it? What's that step of faith that God is saying? Because it's when you take that step of faith that in the unleashes heaven to do some mighty things on your behalf. And I want to focus on, we said that, it's when they stepped foot in, that's when the miracle took place. But watch where it took place. It said this, Yet as soon as the priests who, who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowed down to the Sea of Arabah, which is the Salt Sea or which is the Dead Sea, as we would know it, was completely cut off. Now, here's what I pictured for years, okay? This is one of those times that just things came alive again. I had always pictured for that the, the, you know, that the Jordan River divided just like the Red Sea divided, that it went from one side to the other, and boom, it was kind of a wall that they walked through. But that's not what it says here. The water stopped at a place called Adam. You know where that was? That was 30 miles upstream. So this is so cool to me because it's this. God, as they were walking to be obedient to God, God was already preparing the miracle. 
God was already taking care of things way up here, 30 miles away. And I'm going to say this again, is, is, is this, that sometimes you may be just taking that step of faith and you wonder what it's going to be. God's already preparing the miracle for you. As you take that step of faith, God's already working on your behalf. God's already stopping the stream 30 miles upstream for you. He's that far ahead of the game. He's that far ahead of you. And he's that far ahead of what he wants to do in our, uh, in our life. And, and something else, there's two words that stuck out at me like crazy this time. Again, it's, every time I read the Bible, it's like I'm reading it for the first time. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on, here's the words, dry land, dry ground, in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. I'm going, for whatever reason, that hit me because of this. What should the, the bottom of the Jordan River have been like? It should have been muddy, right? It should have been a mess because that's what, what happens when, when, you know, water's taken away from there. It should have been a muddy mess. And it probably would have been harder to go across the Jordan River as, as muddy than it would have been the water itself. How about trying to take, you know, carts and children across, across that? But here's the incredible thing is God made that instantaneously like, like concrete or like asphalt. And that means this, that there wasn't one tire, that wheel that got stuck in the middle of that, uh, in the middle of mud. No mud on any of the uh, tires. No mud on any of the sandals. No mud on any of the garments. Anything like this. God did a miracle of time right there. And this is the beautiful thing that I love is God can do in a moment what, we, what we've been trying to do for years in our, in our life. There was one man that came up to me uh, one time uh, a few years ago after a service, and he came up, and he's just broken. He said, he said, you know what? I have had no relationship with my kids for over a decade. I think it was 18 years, the last time he'd ever talked to his, his children. And he's brokenhearted. And he said, it's breaking, my, it's breaking my heart, but we've had no, I've reached out, I've reached out, I've reached out. They've never tried to reach back in return. And I said, well, let's just pray right now. He came back the next week. He is beaming. And he said, you are never going to believe what happened. He said, not one of my kids, but both of my kids contacted me last Sunday, right after we prayed, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I have a new relationship with both of my, both of my kids. God can do more in a moment than we can do. We've, we've seen God heal people in an instant what, they have, what, what hasn't taken place in, uh, in going, to, going to hospitals and things like this for a, for a long time. I remember one guy that said, my heart has been broken for 14 years. 14 years, I've woken up every day with a broken heart. And he said, God has healed me. He said, and he, even years later, he said, my heart has never been different, has completely been different from that, from that moment. And you know, God can do more in a moment. Think about what he did with water and wine. I mean, that's not only a creative miracle. You can't turn, you know, water into to wine. But think about the time that it would take, even if that was grape juice, right, to turn that into wine. That takes weeks. That takes months. That takes years in order for that to happen. And Jesus did it like, like this. Jesus can, maybe you're here and there's a financial problem and everything. God can, God can take that financial problem. God can take it where you don't have a job right now, and he can provide several jobs in a, in a moment, which has happened to people b before. Maybe it's a, a boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it's a, a mate that you're looking for, and God can do something that you've been looking for maybe months or years, and God can do something in, a, in an instant and change all that. Um, think about Joseph. You know, Joseph, God took Joseph from the, from the prison to the throne in one hour. I mean, imagine that. That could never happen, but God was able to do that. So whatever that is, so you keep praying. You keep longing for that. You keep looking for that. You keep doing your thing. You keep taking those steps of faith, and you watch God come, uh, God can come through in an instant. And the finally is this, 
never forget to remember. Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each tribe of, of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord their God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on the, your shoulder, uh, 12 stones in all, one for each of the tribes in Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. Don't miss that. In future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went, went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. And you know something? When you face your Jericho, whatever that is, and you may be facing a Jericho this week. You may be facing a Jericho in your life, which is an intimidating situation that is too much for you to, to handle. There's one beautiful thing that God has for, for you to remind you of this, and that's to never forget his goodness. That we remember all the things that God has done for us in the past, and it helps us to remember to, to be able to face the Jerichos that we face in the present and in the, in the future. Isn't that what David did when he faced Goliath? Here's, the, here's Saul said, you can't, you can't face that guy. He's way bigger. He's been a, a warrior from the time he was a little kid, and, you, and you're trying to face this giant? And he said, listen. He said, listen, the same God that rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear is the same God that's going to rescue me from this guy as well. He looked back at God's faithfulness in the past to prepare him for God's faithfulness in the, in the, the future. And, you know, here's what, it's Memorial Day. And I, I as, as, as the colonel said, man, I'm so thankful, so incredibly thankful for those, those men and women who have laid down their life so we could have, have freedom. My mom's first, uh, first husband died. Uh, shortly after World War, uh, after D-Day. So almost 75 years ago to the day, uh, he laid down his, his life. I deeply respect those who have done that and for those who are willing to do that in our nation. And I deeply respect most of all the, the, our Savior who, who did that for our, our behalf, who willingly laid down his life for us. Can we do a different type of Memorial Day here as well? And that's maybe that we, that we set up a, a, a memorial for, for God, maybe a, a trophy room, shall we say. And some of you have trophy rooms where you can look and you won that award, you did this, or your team did this, your team did that, and it's those things that you remember what happened. What would happen if we set up a, a, a hall of remembrance, uh, a, a memorial to God in our heart and in this, this sanctuary even today, that we remember the things that God has done for us? And we remember those, and we treasure those, and we say, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. We're not going to take that lightly. We remember it as a memorial to you. You know, when you come in, if you ever come in the front door, uh, there's something you may have seen, you may not have seen. There's a, there's a cross that's formed out of little, little uh, stones. And what, the, what that was was when we gave the, fir, the last message that we ever had in the, in the warehouse, which we worshiped at for five years, I said this. I preached from this, this passage that we remember what God has done for us. And God turned us from a, from a church of 60 people to a church of over 700 people in, a, in attendance in just those, those five years. And we saw countless people come to faith in Jesus Christ and ministry around the, around the world. Lives had been changed. Families had been restored, everything. And I said, whatever that is, whatever God has done in your life in this, uh, uh, through, this, through this church, that we bring it as a remembrance. And, and somebody had a great, we, we formed, a, we formed a, a, an altar there. And somebody had the great idea to, to form that into a cross when we walk in so that any time we walk in when we were reminded of God's faithfulness to us as individuals and reminded of God's faithfulness to us as a, as a church. And you have a stone. You've been a, given a stone, I hope, as you, as you came in here. Uh, and that's not so in case I, I preach a bad sermon that you, that you nail me with them, okay? 
that's this that we that that we use these that you see some of these up here. We actually had so many people the last time that we had to recycle some of those over on over on this side. But we we bring this up, and I want you just for a moment to just take some time and close your eyes and bow your head, and just remember what God has done, the prayers that He answered the protection that he's given you, the times you should have been hurt and you weren't, sometimes you should have been killed and you weren't, the provision. God has given you what you've needed and way more. We're the most blessed nation on this planet. We don't have to go looking through the garbage, most of us, to, to, find, to find our next meal. Our garbage disposals eat better than 60% of the world. How many times God's just been good to you? How many times God's been good to this church? And in a moment, I'm just going to ask that you, you come up and you, you form a an altar of remembrance at this altar. Just lay your, lay your stone down. Stay as long as you want. If you want to just lay it down and go, if you want to stay there for a while. There's going to be people also, I'm going to ask that the prayer team come and, and go to either side. But if you have something that you need to, to, to give to God, something's hurting in your life or somebody you love, care about, you just, want to, you just want prayer. That's what church is about. That's why we need our brothers and sisters for moments like this. But for the rest of us, we just say thank you, God, for being a good, good father. Thank you, God, for the people who have laid down their life so we can worship you in freedom, which so many other countries can. Thank you, God, for our nation. Thank you, God, for those in government. Thank you, God, for the many ways you've given, for giving us life. And for most of all, if we have nothing else to thank you for, for laying down your life for us that we can have eternal life. So if we could stand and sing and the altar is open. Thank you so much for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you would like to listen to past Crossroads Church Podcast, you can go to mycrossroads.co slash podcast. Once again, thanks for listening.